When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 414 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly living, and on today's show, we're discussing how to find your unique and very important place in the movement, whatever the movement is that speaks most to your heart. Now, changing the status quo demands people power. The civil rights movement, the women's movement, the disability rights movement, and even most recently, the marriage equality movement. Every single one of these movements overcame long odds and remade American life. You know why they succeeded? They succeeded because they were propelled by the blood, sweat, tears, and passion of hundreds of thousands of people coming together to fight for the change that they, frankly, deserved. Now, there is a problem, though, and it is that so many of us, we don't want to make a scene. Public and loud activism is what we see and hear of most. I'm thinking images of marches and picket lines and large crowds and public speeches with bullhorns. We see aspects, heck, countless aspects to this world that we'd like changed, But if activism is about making an awful lot of noise and angering a bunch of people, heck no, count us out. Well, my guest today argues that activism in the day-to-day is actually so much more private. It's so much quieter, too, but it's just as powerful. And even better is there is a place in every single movement the environmental rights movement, the racial justice movement, the animal rights movement, whatever movement speaks to your soul, there is a place for you in that movement. And not only is there a place for you, it's not like, oh, come join us if you like. No, that's not it. These movements need you. They need your unique skills, even if you're an introvert, even if you hate crowds, Even if the thought of giving a speech makes you break out in a cold sweat, you're still needed. There is space for you. There's space for everyone. Today, I'm speaking with Omkari Williams. She is a proud activist, and she's also the author of the new book, which is out now. It is titled Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. Omkari, I'm so Thrilled and honored to have you on the show. How are you? Oh, Stephanie, I'm really excited to be here. I'm great. And thank you so much for having me. 
Well, thank you so much for writing your new book. I read it and I loved it. And I'm looking forward to talking to you all about how listeners today can understand their activist type, which again, was life-changing for me. And I say it's life-changing because the word activist, I don't want to call it a dirty word. That's not the right word, but it does invoke images of, you know, loudness in the streets and picketing and again, bullhorn. Talk to me about how you became an activist and what activism really is to you, because it certainly could be picketing in the streets, but perhaps not all the time. Definitely. So the reason that I wrote Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn, is because so many people hear the word activist and they think, oh, that's not me. I'm not that person. I'm not going to stand up on a stage. And what I want people to understand is that activism comes from the root. It's the same root as action, right? The words have the same root. So to be an activist really simply means to be taking action. I am really a fan of taking action in ways that are sustainable. And given that most of us have, you know, families, lives, pets, children, things like that, jobs, you aren't going to just upend your whole life and go and make activism your full-time gig. And there's no need to do that. What is needed is people to be engaged on a regular basis in ways that are manageable for them. So for someone, that might look like volunteering at a food pantry once a month. For someone else, it might be something like reading to children at the library every week. I mean, it totally depends on where you are in your life, what your other obligations and responsibilities are. I wrote the book because I can't really remember a time when I wasn't an activist. I grew up with a father who was a humanitarian and did a lot of work with people in terrible, terrible situations. I'm talking about things like the genocide in Rwanda. So my understanding of the world was that I was really fortunate. I grew up in a stable country, and I had a lot of opportunities that a lot of other people did not have around the world. And so making a difference for me, as an eight-year-old, I remember trick-or-treating for UNICEF and being so excited to give what would now be, you know, a laughably small amount of money to UNICEF. But when you're eight, a dollar feels like a ton of money, you know, (laughs) and however many dollars it was, it really made me feel like I was doing something. And the truth is I was. It might have been a drop. But if you added my drop to all the drops of the other kids around me and all the drops of the kids around the country who were trick-or-treating for UNICEF, that money meant something. And it's the same now, all these years later. Our individual actions mean something. They add up. They have an impact. Most of us would be very happy to be able to fix the problem of world hunger, and there would be no more hungry people anywhere in the world ever. That's not going to happen for any individual one of us. But if we feed one person, doesn't that matter? I mean, it certainly matters to the person we fed. And I think scaling our expectations to human size reality 
is the key because we can to say, you know what, I'm going to make an extra meal once a week and give it to that unhoused person that I always pass when I'm on my way to the post office. I can do that. I can work in a community garden for an hour every other week and just help weed and take care of it so that there's food to be donated to the local food pantry. There are so many things we can do that we don't consider activism, but they are. And when we think of them that way, it really shifts our engagement. Yes. And thank you for all those examples, because it's not just about holding the bullhorn at the rally, right? It can be, but it can be reading to children or teaching someone to garden or bringing someone to dinner. That's all activism. What do you say to people who would argue, but there's so much to fight for? There's so much change I'd like to see in this world. There's so many problems. How do listeners even figure out where to put their precious and finite time? What causes really are the ones that they should put their time and effort and energy into? How do they find them? Well, let me first say I agree with you. There are a ton of things. There is no shortage of causes for people to put their attention on. And my strong suggestion is that people focus on one or two things. And I direct them back to what I call their origin story. And that's the story that got them involved in activism in the first place. So mine was my dad. I had my dad as an example, and he made me aware of circumstances around the world that otherwise would totally have not been on my radar. But your origin story might be that you were the kid who got bullied in school and you want to create an environment where bullying doesn't happen anymore. You might have an an experience of having been able to really help someone in need by just giving them a coat and you decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to do coat drives because people shouldn't be cold. It doesn't matter what your origin story is in its specifics. What matters is how it impacts you. You should really lead with your heart here. What's the story that speaks to your heart? What's the cause that speaks to your heart? Because that will keep you going when things get hard. And there is no way that at some point things aren't going to get hard. That's just not life, right? At some point, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to feel like, is this even making a difference? And the truth is, yeah, it is. You may not always see the difference that it's making, but that doesn't mean it's not making a difference. So the most impactful part of your book for me was the quiz (laughs) that helped me find what my unique gifts are and what by your words, my activism archetype is. And so I'm wondering if we can go through all four, you can maybe break them down and tell us what would the work be, what would the work look like for each of these types? We'll start with the indispensables. You have four of them. Indispensables. Who would be an indispensable? Actually, indispensables is probably the largest group because indispensables are the people way behind the scenes, the people whose faces you are never going to see, whose names you're never going to know, but they are doing the things without which everything would fall apart. I mean, think of it this way. If someone is organizing a march, the indispensables are the people who 
order the water so that people stay hydrated, who make a list of the places where people can use the restroom, who make a map of the march route. The indispensables make sure there's toilet paper in the bathroom at the office and coffee for the coffee pot because without coffee, there is no anything happening. So those are the indispensables. They are, they are essential. They are everything. And people think that their contribution is insignificant. It is far from insignificant. Yes. There was a quote in your book that I wrote down because it really hit me. And it was, I'm going to read your words back to you. It is the critical mass of people standing up for what they believe in that ultimately moves the needle toward justice. And so for anybody listening right now and thinking, but filling the coffee pot really isn't doing much. It's the mass of people filling the coffee pot and making the map and all of you know, all of the four archetypes working together that moves the needle toward justice. Absolutely. You know, I think about the March on Washington, Dr. King's March on Washington, and how there he was standing at the Lincoln Memorial, and there was a sea of people in front of him. And I think we don't know who those people were, most of us, unless it was someone in our family who's passed down the story, right? But if it weren't for all those people, Dr. King would have been at the Lincoln Memorial and he would have essentially been a tourist. It was the hundreds, I think it was a hundred thousand people or more that were at the Lincoln Memorial for that event that made him so impactful around the country that he could get that many people, that many ordinary people of all races, all religions to come out. Those people were the indispensables that day. They were the people who showed the country that, yes, there is actually a real critical mass of people who see racial injustice as a problem. And it was it was a really powerful moment because of that. So take those people away and you don't have that. Well, you mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. So let's talk about him and let's talk about other headliners. Usually when we think about activism, we our minds go to the headliners. But if we can drill down just one point today, it's that it's not just the headliners who are, again, moving that needle toward justice. So who are the headliners and what do they do? What part do they play in activism? The headliners are people whose names come to mind when you hear the word activists. So they're Dr. King, they're Gloria Steinem, they're Malala Yousafzai, they're Gandhi, they're Greta Thunberg. Think about Greta Thunberg. Here she is, this kid, literally a kid, who decides she's going to go on a school strike on Fridays and sit outside the Swedish parliament with her homemade sign protesting for them to take action on climate change. Greta Thunberg did what headliners do. She was able to motivate millions of people around the globe into action on this cause. And she is the face of the movement, but without all of the people behind her, there is no movement. There's just this kid sitting outside Swedish Parliament in the cold. If we look at headliners, we have to understand that they play a really important role because they are really good communicators. They are really good advocates for the movement that they're the front face for, but they do not do this work alone. None of the archetypes does this work alone. It takes all of them to do it. 
Something I learned from your book was that Rosa Parks was a headliner. I always just assumed she was just fed up one day and was sitting on the bus, but she was trained. She was trained. Yeah. And there were actually two young women before Rosa Parks who did the same thing. But when it came to it, there was a very strategic decision taken, which was that she was a little bit older than they. And so she was more, she was just better positioned to withstand the rigors that were going to come with taking such a public stand in that moment in time in the deep South against segregation. So they chose her to be the face of the movement of desegregating the buses. And she was, you know, she was very, very savvy. And yeah, she was tired, but she was tired in a way beyond just physically tired. And she chose a very difficult path. I mean, that was not an easy decision to make. The repercussions of that for her life were significant. And I think it's really important to understand that most of us are combinations of the archetypes. We have a predominant archetype, but we also have a sort of our subset. And we can move into a different archetype when necessary. But we do have our place that feels most comfortable. Yeah. I, as I took the quiz in your book, I assumed right off the bat I was going to be a headliner. Hello, I'm loud. I have this podcast. Um, and I did get some headlining results back, but I was majority an organizer. So talk to us about the organizers. The organizers, I love the organizers. They're the, <laughs> they're the people who make sure that things happen. So, um, you know, the quiz was actually in, inspired in its structure by my experiences as an actor when I was doing that many years ago and the way film sets are structured. And, you know, you have the headliner is your star, and then you have a producer, and then you have the, the organizer, sort of like the person who is who pulls it all together and makes sure that all those little pieces are working well so that everyone is fed and everyone is happy. If you extrapolate from that and you think about the person at, let's say, the school book fair that's raising money for the library and the school. They would be the person who would distribute the information about the book fair to the kids and say, okay, it's your job to go put these posters up in these 20 places and take some home to your parents and make sure that they put them up at their offices or wherever they are engaging with other people. So they would do that. They would also be the person who would organize the outreach to the bookstores that were going to donate books to the fundraiser. They basically take every discrete piece of an event and break it down and give it to someone else to be in charge of. They keep the specific pieces in mind and work from there. Well, that's me. <laughs> And finally, we have the producers. Who are the producers? So the producer literally keeps the entire picture in mind, right? They are the ones who look at the whole thing and say, okay, we have our headliner. We have our indispensables. We have our organizer. Who needs to be fulfilling what role and when? 
And they're the people who make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. The producers are people who love spreadsheets and love just being able to look at the whole thing and say, okay, Susie over here is taking care of the food. Ben is taking care of the book fair. And then I've got all of the people who are going to be staffing the tables. They're the indispensables. And Susie and Ben have each assigned someone to be in charge of their particular group of indispensables. And then you've got your headliner and the producer is going to be the person who says to the headliner, have you got your remarks all scripted? Do you know what you need to say? Do you know when you need to be there? They're the person who just keeps the whole picture in mind and makes sure that everything is happening as it should. So what I hear you saying, Omkari, is that there's a place in the movement, whatever the movement is for you, there's a place in the movement for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And also, you get to decide what arena you want to play in, right? You get to decide what cause you want to support. But whatever cause it is, there is a role for you there because nothing happens without all four of those pieces coming together. And also, something that I think is really important because people often feel like there's so many things and I can only do so much, is I like to remind everyone, there are 8 billion people on the planet. If all of us did one thing, just one focused on one area that was really important to us, one area that we felt passionate about, everything would be taken care of because we've got so many different interests among all of us, we wouldn't have to worry about it. There would be people working just on the environment. There would be people working just on animal rights. There would be people working just on racial justice. There's not not a shortage of people. There's a shortage of focus. So if we can focus, we can get more done. Mm, Yes, there's definitely a shortage of focus. But it seems to me, and after the break, I'm going to tell you to correct me if I'm wrong, but it also seems as though there's a shortage of passion. So we're going to take our ad break. And when we come back, Omkari, I'm going to ask you, why are we not more fired up. The status quo is not working. Where's the passion? I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Omkari Williams. She's an activist. She's also the author of the new book out now titled Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. And Omkari, before the break, you made the important point that there's a lack of focus. I see, at least in the circles I run around with, that there's also a distinct lack of passion. It seems to me like there's a lot of things to be fired up about. Like the status quo is profoundly racist and it's destroying our planet. And the status quo upholds the incorrect belief that some lives are more valuable, more important than others. The status quo is not working for the vast majority of us. And yet, in my opinion, it doesn't seem as though the circle that I hang out with in my personal life cares all that much? I don't know. Maybe it's because the status quo is working for that subset, right? And so I guess I would love to get your opinion on that. Do you see a lack of passion or are you just in another circle and the passion is flowing strong? (laughs) Both. I think that you're correct, Stephanie, in saying that the status quo is working for some people, so it's easy for them to sort of check out. But even within that, I promise you there is something that they care about that is not working the way they would like it to work. They just haven't connected to it because they probably haven't really thought about it. It hasn't been in their face, right? And it may not be racial justice. It may not be um, a war. It may not be whatever it is that activates you and I, but maybe it's something like they really don't want someone telling their kids what books to read in school. Maybe they don't feel like it's anyone's business what a woman does with her body. I think the trick is to start having conversations where we find out what we're passionate about, what each other is passionate about, and then encourage and support one another in actually working to make change. Because I think the other part of what gets in the way is feeling like there's nothing I can do that can make a difference, so I'm not even going to try. That's not true. What is true is we may not live to see the end of the road we're walking down, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep walking and moving the needle forward on these things. We really should. It's what we owe to the generations before us that sacrificed so much so that we could have the lives we live, and also to the generations coming after us that, you know, we should be leaving the world better than we found it, not worse. Yes. And 
leaving the world better than we found it can sometimes and very often take sacrifice. I'm thinking about a instance in my own life recently in which this is a story, everybody, so buckle up. But <laughs> um, somebody in my life said something that I found to be incredibly inappropriate and racist and wrong. And so I operate under the belief that when those opportunities come up, it's my duty to say something. However, the people that I was with either ignored it or got up and walked away. And so I was the only one left standing to confront this statement that I found incredibly inappropriate. And so I I guess I'm interested in your thoughts here because in instances like that, the person who is left standing and who is standing up is taking all the heat, right? And if the masses all were behind me or with me, even better, with me, I feel like the interaction would have um, been more impactful and certainly easier on me. And so I left that interaction feeling like I didn't want to stand up the next time. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I do. First off, thank you for your courage, because it does take courage to to stand up for what's right. And sometimes people are just going to walk away and they're going to just bail on you. And that feels terrible. What I will say is we don't change anyone else's mind and no one changes ours. We change our own minds. However, when we speak up, we are creating an opportunity for someone to consider something that maybe they hadn't thought of in the way that was being presented before, right? Maybe they hadn't considered that what they were saying was not okay. And you're speaking up and saying, it's not okay with me, is an opportunity for them to explore that. And often what will happen is people won't explore it in the moment because, you know, we all get all defensive and we're like, no, I'm fine. I I don't know what your problem is. And other people don't want to stick their necks out. But I don't think that people don't want to stick their necks out doesn't mean they didn't hear us and that they don't think about it. And it may not be everyone, but if it's one person, that's good. And at the very least, you're not violating your own integrity by staying silent when you know something is wrong. And holding on to our integrity is incredibly important. We live in such a crazy, crazy time right now that it can feel really, really hard to just say, no, I, I don't agree with that. I think that that is wrong. And being able to just stay in our, um, in our own truth and, and be honest and speak from a place of not judgment, but conviction is really important. I like what you said there about integrity. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> if I have that still, I did the right thing, right? We all did the right thing. Before we say goodbye, I would love it if you talked about the distinction between shallow work and deep work. Because as activists, and I think we've already established that we're all activists in one way or the other, whether we like the word or not, we're all activists. The journey, the work 
can sometimes feel like a schlog, for lack of a better word. It can feel like we're treading water, not moving the needle at all. Talk to me about shallow work and deep work and how we can not only distinguish between the two, but keep our eyes on the prize, which of course is the deep work. Well, I actually think that what you just said about the situation you encountered is deep work, right? You took the risk of saying what you thought in a circumstance when you could have just sort of gone along to get along. And deep work is about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about being willing to go below the sort of social norms and say, no, you know what? I think we need to challenge this. I think we need to look at this more, more intensely and more thoroughly. Shallow work is sort of just, it's, it's the stuff we do to look good that doesn't really change anything. It's the performative things. And there's a lot of that, especially because we live in a world that is so driven by what we see on social media. And that can be just really performative. People feel like, well, I have to say something. And then they check it off their list. But have they accomplished anything? No, they haven't. They've just added a bit to the noise. And that's not what we need. We don't need more noise. We need more depth and we need more conversation that actually is intended to expand our understanding, not just make us look good. As you're talking there, I'm thinking, you know, this is a environmentally leaning show. And when I started this show, I was all about the bring your cup to Starbucks <laughs> or the bring your bags to your health food store. But as I've you know, walk down this podcasting path for the past five years, I've learned. And listeners, you've probably noticed as, you know, the topics we uh, discuss each week evolve that the cup at Starbucks, that's the shallow work. That is not effectively moving the needle at all. The deeper work, I believe now, is in the activism, big and small, to fight for our planet so that we have a planet in which our children can thrive. And so I just want to thank you for that distinction in your book. There's shallow work, and then there's the deep work, where the needle actually gets moved. And so I would recommend your book to anybody listening who is interested more in the activism piece, because again, in the climate fight especially, but in any fight, there is plenty of room, plenty of need for all of us. I just want to say something to add on to what you said about shallow work and deep work and cups, you know, it's good that we bring our own cups and our own bags. But it is the shallow piece. The deep piece is confronting the companies that continue to benefit from producing things that are petroleum-based and producing things that are destroying the planet and then tell us that our job is to recycle it's confronting the truths that lie below the simple surface. So I always encourage people when something is simple, that's great, but look deeper and see, is there more to this than just this? And inquiring is always a good thing. Just asking about what more is there to this story that I'm not seeing will put us on the path to doing really meaningful work. 
I love that. And it's a perfect place to leave it. Omkari, I loved every minute of talking to you. Thank you, Stephanie. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 414. I've linked to a bunch of stuff in this week's show notes, so check them out. And definitely check out Omkari's book. It was amazing. And I don't say that about every book I read, but I really genuinely enjoyed hers. Now, we do have an eco tip today, and it comes from Katie. Katie, I apologize. You sent me this eco tip an awful long time ago, and it got lost, but I found it. (laughs) Katie wanted me to mention the super amazing resource. It's a tool called seafoodwatch.org. It is the place to go if you are interested. You're standing at the, uh, what's it called? The seafood counter? Yeah, the seafood counter at the supermarket, or perhaps you're at a restaurant. Maybe you're out of town and you're at a restaurant and you don't know what seafood's local, what's endangered, what you should order to be a conscious citizen. Seafoodwatch.org is for you. There are even pocket guides that you can print out or save on your phone based on the region you live in. And so if you love to eat seafood, but you want to eat sustainably sourced seafood that's not overfished and local to your location, definitely check out seafoodwatch.org, also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much, Katie. Excellent eco tip. Listeners, we'll be back on Thursday. I'll see you then. As always, reach out if you need me or if you just want to say hi. You can always just say hi. That's great, too. I'll see you Thursday and take care.